we've been talking about revival all summer. If you haven't been with us, we've been talking about revival, and the simple way that I feel like we've defined it is bringing life back into something that was dead, right? We revive something. So um, I have this really cool story about that. The kids are playing soccer this, this summer. We have three kids. Most of all of you know this. Um, Ellie and Zach have been playing soccer this summer, and I was at Ellie's soccer practice on Thursday, and uh, I was sitting next to another mom, and she was like, oh, do you guys homeschool? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, cool, because we're always looking for people to hang out with, like, in the wintertime. And I was like, yeah, we'd love to. And she was like, oh, yeah, I use this Christian curriculum. And I was like, oh, do you love Jesus? And she was like, yeah, we do. And I was like, that's amazing. We love Jesus, too. And then we just smiled at each other, you know. <laughs> you meet someone who loves Jesus, and you're like, where do we go from here? So anyways, uh she like went on to tell me that it's like she's she's only walked with God for like the past few years and um she was like you know my daughter like she'll see old pictures of me and she'll be like mom was that before you loved Jesus like I don't know what her mom was doing in these pictures but her mom her mom her mom like kind of chuckled and was like yeah and I was like that is that's funny and I like had this like thought really quick in my mind I was like can, is it so true that when you walk with Jesus, you, your appearance changes, you know? So true that like a five, Ellie's team is made up of like five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds. Well, five, six, seven years. So that a kid could tell when, you, when, when you're not made alive in Christ. A kid can tell the living from the dead. Isn't that crazy? Anyways, I was thinking about us, and I was thinking, can we walk around campus and do we have a, like, can we see people that are in our lives and think, wow, I, I really need you to know Jesus so that you are, you're really living. You know what I'm saying? This is why we're talking about revival, right? So we have a burden to see those who are dead be, become alive in Christ, right? Revival. So tonight we're going to talk about the revival that came to Samaria in Acts 8, but I'm going to pray first. So Lord, I'm just thankful to be here, thankful for my friends that are here, thankful to carry this, this burden and this heart to see people come alive in you. Yeah, Lord, would you just be here with us? Speak to me and speak to our friends, Lord. And um, yeah, let us just hear your heart tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to read in Acts 8, if you have your Bibles or your phones. It's Acts 8, 1 through 25, which I know seems like a lot of verses, but it's going to go by really quick, okay? So, Acts 8, 1, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all of the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then in parentheses, it says, some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. 
Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard about the people of Samaria, heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held by, captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, these, that these terrible things you have said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Okay, I felt like it was necessary for us to get the whole picture to read that, and it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was too much. But I feel like out of all of this summer, I got this, the easiest text, because it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Um like how the revival is breaking out, what's causing a revival. But I kind of just want to highlight two people from the text and look at, um, I don't know, just highlight some things from these two people that we can take with us, okay? So we're going to start with Philip. Okay, the first, uh, the Acts 1-8 is actually Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So here's Philip. He's seen the, the stoning of Stephen. So if you, if you don't know the story about Stephen, um, he was wrongly accused of blasphemy and was stoned. Okay, so Philip witnesses the stoning of Stephen, a great persecution breaking out, and Saul dragging people out of their homes into jail. And I was reading about, like, jail back then, and it wasn't like the jails we have today where, like, you get fed three meals and you're given a job and you can, you can actually make money and you can go buy things at a store. Jail was pretty much death for people back then. No one fed you. If, if, you, if you had a relative that came and brought you food, that was the way you eat. But So he, Saul was dragging people out, putting them in prison, basically sending them to their death. So here's Philip seeing all of this stuff, what does he do? Oh, I'm just going to like trot over here to Samaria and preach the word. What the heck? This is how, this is, this is he, he, in the midst of these circumstances, who in their right mind would be like, yeah, I should keep on preaching. 
Like, no hiding, no cowering, just keep on preaching. He was bound to obey Jesus, right? Whether that meant his life or not. Because in, I know Lauren preached last week about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if she mentioned in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus said. He's, he's saying, go do this. And Philip doesn't get scared by, what, by the circumstances he's seeing in front of them, right? He goes, he goes off to Samaria and starts preaching. So why? Why would he do that? I was thinking about, like, it's, why do we, like, okay, for me, I'm a parent, so I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to take this from the parent perspective. But why do I ask my children to obey me? It's because I love them and I know what's best for them. So Philip had this, he knew Jesus loved him. He knew what he was asking was in love. So he's going to obey him for that reason. But why else would we, like, why else would he walk into these people and just start saying, hey, you should believe in Jesus, start preaching the good word. And I think it's because he had a burden. So, there was like this bad blood between Samaritans and Jews that dates like all the way back to the Old Testament. And then like persecution going on and him, him watching this. And so in my mind, I'm like, you have every reason to not preach, to not share. But he obeys the Lord he, he has this burden for these people to know the same God he knows, right? And so he goes to Samaria. Okay. His simple act of obedience, just obeying, paves the way for God's hand to move in Samaria. He steps up despite circumstance, relationship, reputation, and he shares about the Messiah. So my question is, how many times have we waited to obey? Have we waited for the right conditions? Or we've waited for, like, someone else to come in and take our place, someone better than us. Do you know how many times I've waited for someone else to preach? Like, really? I have to get up here, and if I stutter, you're going to hear it. If I, like, trip over my notes, you're going to hear it. Does that make sense? If I, like, start sweating, you're going to see it, right? But I can't wait, right? I can't wait. I can't put this on someone else. But how many times have we waited? Have we waited for someone else to lead small group? Someone else to talk to that person at the Wood Center? Someone else to go help, help somebody who, like, I'm just thinking of, like, if you're at the grocery store and someone's dropped their groceries. How many times have we waited for someone else to do what God's commanded us to do? Does that make sense? Because we tell... We tell our kids this because it's a struggle with Zach, but delayed obedience is still disobedience, right? God bless America. My son, he is, he's something else. He'll be like, it just, yeah, delayed obedience. So I'm just wondering what kind of burden must Philip had had to not wait not wait till the circumstances were right. Not wait till the conditions were right. Not wait until someone said, hey, Philip, step up to this pulpit. This is a safe place. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. The simple acts of obedience, despite how hard they are or unwilling we are at the moment, are what add up to changing us into the image of God so that people see that and they want to follow him. They have a desire to follow him. I'm telling you guys, we just don't, we don't need to wait for anybody else, okay? We're, we're responsible, right, for the knowledge that we have. It's up to us, right, to reach out, to, to preach, to share what God has done in our lives. But I will say this. Revival doesn't depend on our, our obedience because we all know God can do whatever he wants. But I think our obedience makes it a little easier for God to move. Is that right? Yeah. God's not waiting for eloquent, trained preachers. He's calling you and me to share with others what we have, right? So what Philip did. And then you know, you know what happened? So here's all these circumstances going on. Persecution, killing of people, and like this bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews. But then verse 8 tells us, that there was much joy in the city. Like, isn't that crazy? We, we, we actually concern ourselves about the result before we get there, right? Do you, you guys do that? Because I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, if I go up to her and start telling her about Jesus, she's going to have to stop smoking. She's going to have to stop cussing. She's going to have to stop living with her boyfriend. Like, I worry about the result before I even get there. Does that make sense? But verse 8 here, it says, there was much joy in the city. I don't think Philip walked up and was like, wow, they're probably not going to accept my word. It's probably going to take them a year to be freed from those demonic spirits. I don't know about this. Do you, do you guys get what I'm saying? Like, he was just obedient and joy followed. Not fear, not crying, not whining. There was joy. And I think what we need to do is look ahead for our friends and even though we're calling them to truth and sometimes that's hard, we need to remind them of the joy that it is to be made alive in Christ. So from Philip we see not delayed obedience, but how obedience paves the way for, is that one of mine or one of yours? You hear those screaming children? Whose kids are those? <laughs> uh they're probably struggling to obey back there. Um, <laughs> so I'm just saying, in Philip we see this. He's, he obeys. He has a burden. He shares. And God moves. Okay? But in sharp contrast to Philip, we have Simon the sorcerer. Okay? The passage says that everyone in Samaria was in awe of his power. Like in, in that verse, it, let me go back here. But it says... Um, they often spoke of him, the great one, the power of God. They thought that his power came from God. They were mesmerized by his magic, by his tricks. But the reason we know it wasn't from God is because he was taking money for it. Because if you're willing to pay money for, for a power that's, that you see as, oh, this power is greater than me, that must have meant you got to your position of power by that same source. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense, but in my head it did. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's accurate. So Simon the sorcerer was doing all these like magic and wonders and signs for people, but he was taking their money for it. And this is how we know it's not from God, because everything that's from God is, every good and perfect gift from God is free, because he loves you. 
Um, okay, so we know it wasn't from God because he was taking money for it. The difference is that Philip came in, he's performing these signs and miracles, preaching because of his love for God, but Simon does it out of a love for self, right? Simon the sorcerer knew how it felt to be loved and adored, and we see that in in verses 10 and 11. He didn't realize that what Jesus did and what he commanded his disciples to do wasn't for their own glory. It was for the Lord's glory. So God needs people who aren't after their own praise or promotion. Yeah. But I don't know about you guys. I got a huge struggle with pride. Like, it's bad. It's just like... Me and Pride, we've been wrestling for years. We go back and forth. Sometimes I think I'm winning, and then that's just Pride. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) that wasn't actually in the notes. (laughs) Not going to take any glory for that. Let me be honest for just a second. Even in, like, preparing this sermon, I thought, what kind of cool things can I say that make me look good, make me look like a good preacher? I, I, every time, I think every time I prepare a sermon, I think, how can I look good? And, and I have to like, okay, let me set, set this computer down. Let me go die to myself in my prayer room and come back. Because this is not about me, right? It's, it's, it's not wrong to give my best, right? It's not wrong for me to, like, prepare something. I'm not going to sit here and waste your time. But it's like, this is what I wrote. To walk in the gifts of God without the Spirit of God is just distraction. That's what it is. Simon, he wanted to walk. He wanted, he wanted these gifts of God. He's like, I, I'll pay you money to, te- to teach me, how, show me how to lay hands on people and then be feel, filled but without the Spirit of God, it's just complete distraction. It's just like a facade. I couldn't think of the word for a second, so I had to do that. Um, we draw more attention to ourselves when we work towards our glory than, than to God, right? Okay. And then, you, and then I just ask myself, why when there's this like... I, I, you know, I love Jesus. I, I know who the Lord is. He's beautiful. He's perfect. He's loving. He's all these things. Why, when he's all those things, do I want the attention on me? I have no idea because I'm failed and imperfect. I think this is so hard because we live in such a self-promoting culture. We're just like Facebook and social media and all, all these things where we can put ourselves out there. We can look funny. We can look serious or what whatever look we're going for like this is this is easy for us to we live in this culture that says look at me right but that's it's not what the bible tells us it's it, we're actually called to not look like the world right the bible calls us to be a city on the hill to be a light in the darkness so what's the opposite of this self-promoting culture is is not look at me but look at him right it's really hard to do this, though. It's really hard to live unselfishly. I think the easiest way to, to do this, though, is to have friends, to have this community that makes these same unselfish choices, right? So this is, this is I'm wrapping it up, but we're going to spend some time in prayer. 
Overall, I think that revival, as we've seen here through Philip and then through Simon, Simon, it is that revival requires unselfishness. <laughs> Obedience to Jesus for the sake of those around us and not for the praise of ourselves. It's pretty simple, but it's hard. It's hard to die to ourselves. It's hard to give up the things that make us feel good and comfortable and that are easy in life, right? Well, that's why we have each other. And that's, that's also why we're going to pray. So I, I want to end by praying together. I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't, pr- I didn't prepare you that, for this, but you could kind of put on, like, some easy music. Um, so you guys can spread out in this room. If you want to pray, like, with someone next to you, that's fine. But we're just going to spend a time in prayer for revival, solely for revival on our campus and everything that that includes, okay? I'm going to open us, and then you guys pray, and Emily will close us. Jesus, I thank you. I just thank you, God, for your blood, for your power, for dying on a cross, that that has given me this new life. And God, would you give me a burden that, that this, this new life cannot just stay inside, but that I would have a burden to see other people made alive in you, other students, other, other university faculty made alive in you, Jesus. Lord, just flow, flow out of me, Lord. Let me be obedient. Help my friends in this room to be obedient, to not wait to obey, but to, to go just as Philip did. And Lord, as we go, would we continue to give you the glory? Would we not take any credit for it, but, but would we continue to give you glory so that your light would shine brighter? We love you, Jesus. Would you come and join us in this room? Holy Spirit, would you be with us? Would you speak through my friends as they pray and lead us in prayer for revival on our campus? Thank you, Jesus.